This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and aren't afraid of getting super messy with it. I'm your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and in the trenches of the parenting journey with my own two teenagers. Each week, I come at you with a solo show or an interview. You can be sure that the guests on the podcast have something important to say, and I am honored to have you listen in as I pick their brains about what it is that they are passionate about. If you are a parent looking to grow while walking the path of parenting, if you're open to learning new things, if your relationship with yourself and your kids is something you are interested in diving deeper into, then this is the place for you. After you listen, I would love to hear from you. Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review, letting others know what you love about the show. Or feel free to shoot me an email at Casey at joyfulcourage.com. I love hearing from listeners and am always quick to respond. If you want to be sure not to miss any of the happenings going on with Joyful Courage, join my list. You'll stay updated on the podcast and events that are happening for parents, both online and live. You can join the list at www.joyfulcourage.com slash join. Yay. So glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, podcast listeners. I am so excited to welcome today's guest, Vivek Patel. Vivek is a conscious parenting educator who works with families to help create more harmony and connection in their homes. Vivek has dedicated his life to spreading awareness and supporting change. In schools, he's worked with youth organizations teaching conflict resolution, anti-bullying, and leadership through movement, martial arts, and dance. As a conscious parenting educator, he has written hundreds of articles and has 60 parenting videos. You can find his writing on Facebook, the Meaningful Ideas website, and YouTube. You know that I'm going to give you links to all of those things towards the end of the show in the show notes. I'm so excited to welcome my friend and colleague, Vivek Patel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Casey. Hi, how are you? I'm really good today. Tell us a little bit more about your journey of doing what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. I have been doing conscious parenting, educating, and coaching for about 10 years now. 
and my kiddo is 23. And when she was born, I knew that I wanted to do things differently from how I was raised. I was raised in a very traditional household um, with a lot of mainstream discipline. I was spanked and I was punished and had things taken away from me and I had all the limits and the boundaries. And, uh, and it made me pull away from my parents, and mostly my dad. My mom, she really was trying. Uh, she had a lot of obstacles against her. I think part of the reason that I even knew there was another way was because she made an effort to try things differently. But the majority of my experience was very coercive. And it actually sent me on quite a self-destructive path in my youth, in my teen years, in my early 20s. Yeah, and I, I do um, workshops in prisons. Mm-hmm. And it's my mother and I actually every week, not these days, because of course, we're all isolated because of the um, COVID virus. But prior to that, every week for the last eight years, we're in prison together and we're doing um, self-empowerment workshops in prisons. Wow. And when I talk to those guys, they can really relate to when I tell them stories from my youth, they can really relate, you know, because I had a really difficult and, and challenging time in my youth. And so much of it was a reaction to... Um, to the way I was, I was raised and to the, the, my experience with adults. And so I knew from a young age that I wanted to be a dad one day and I wanted to do things differently. And even though um, my life kind of veered from that for a while and eventually came back and I started to find myself again. And then when I was 28, I had my daughter. Well, I didn't have my daughter, but <laughs> my wife did, but she came along. <laughs> And, uh, and I remember her, I remember when she was born and I looked into her eyes and I could hear her voice in my head saying to me, dad, if you treat me like most parents treat their kids, I'm going to hate you when I'm a teenager. Mm. And so I really took that to heart and I was like, okay, well, I want to, I would think about, you know, um, and and like I'm saying, she was 23 right now. So this is a long time ago. (laughs) There was no Facebook. There were really no resources for how to do things differently. I was kind of just making it up, uh, knowing that I didn't want to do, I didn't want to have like an authoritative, um, punitive, controlling relationship with her. I wanted to have a human, a deeply human, collaborative relationship with her. And so that's what I focused on. I focused on relationship. I always say that my uh, parenting mantra is relationship first. Mm -hmm. And I really focused on our relationship and forming a deeply connected human relationship where she could feel safe with me. I wanted to be the safest person in her life and uh, her to know that she could be herself for with including all of her mistakes, all of her um, areas that she needed to learn, all of the things that she, you know, what we normally would call flaws, as well as the things that she was, you know, had as strengths. And the whole package was acceptable and, uh, and that she could be herself. Because so many kids, you know, they grow up in environments where they can't be themselves and they're always having to adjust who they are to the expectations, uh, usually the coercive expectations of their parents and other adults and the systems they engage in, like the school system. And so they don't really get to learn deeply about who they are. You know, and most adults that I talk to when I do my workshops and stuff, I ask them, who here is on a path of self-development? And usually everybody puts out their hand. And I say, and who here who who just put up their hand has this as a central part of that getting to know themselves for the first time. And like every hand goes up mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't want that for my kid. I wanted, I wanted her to know who she was, to love who she was and to honor who she was from the very beginning. And so that's really what I focused on. Now we're 20, she's 23 and the relationship that we have is, it's hard to even describe. It's, it's sublime. It's, it's so connected and it's so deep and it's so vulnerable. 
uh, we one of the things that she enjoys eating the most is Subway. Ah, my 14-year-old, same. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, she, we, we, there's a subway down the road that we go to on a regular basis. And when she was in high school, like, every day, almost every day, we would go in there for a sub. Well, not every day, but, like, two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then it was the same staff, and they were seeing us all the time um, coming in and just being ourselves and, uh, and getting a sub together. And then one day after two or three years of this, and, and we're, very, we're very friendly too, like we're out there, we're talking to people, we want to create human connections wherever we go, because that's part of the lifestyle that we've developed with each other. Mm-hmm. And so one day I went in after a couple of years to the same subway, and she wasn't with me. And rare, she was almost never not with me. And they were saying, oh, where's your friend? Mm-hmm. And I said, your oh, friend. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it, right? And I, and, they, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, that's not my friend. That's my daughter. And Casey, mm. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating when I tell this story, that those people behind the counter could not contain themselves. They literally started running back and forth saying, what? Oh, my goodness. What? What? I can't believe it. I've never seen anything like it. They were running back and forth up and down behind the counter because they couldn't control themselves. And then they yelled in the back, hey, come out here. Listen, this guy. Yeah, we know this guy. That's his daughter. What? And they were all like completely losing <laughs> They're cool around it. Like they just couldn't, they couldn't perceive it. And they said, I said, what's happening? Why are you people reacting like this? And then after a minute, they calmed down and they were like, you know, we've never seen a parent and child interact that way. You really seemed like you were best friends. The respect that you had, Mm. the way you listened to each other, the joy that was between you, the trust. We've never seen, we've never seen it. And we served parents and their kids for years. We've been doing that. It was hard for them to believe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I never forgot that moment. You know, it really made me feel, it made me feel so much, uh, so much confidence in the stuff that I teach because of this yeah. kind of relationship where kids can, can really benefit from our wisdom and from our guidance because they can trust it. I think that's the thing that really was, is really important and really powerful. Because I didn't want her turning away from me like most te- teenagers do. I wanted her to feel uh, like she could always trust my guidance. Yeah. Well, now I'm like thinking to myself, well, clearly we're going to have a few more podcasts after this one. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there's Thank so you. much there that I yeah. would love to tease apart and talk about, oh, including, right. you know, just the learning process. I think a lot of us make that decision, you know, I'm going to do it different than mm. what I got. And then going from the head to the heart, you know, some for some of us, it takes quite a bit of, of work, right? It's for sure. easier said than done. So another time, Vivek, yeah. we will yeah. come back to this because that I would love great. to know the work that you did to support yourself in moving through, you know, the, the conditioning that was a part of you just simply because your relationship with your dad existed, but yeah. not today. Today, we have a different topic. Yes, we do. About. Yes, we do. Yeah. We're talking today, listeners, about how to take current events and bring the learning into the home. It is June 9th, 2020. We are still in pandemic mode, and we are also in the middle of this uprising. It feels like a revolution Mm. um, on the streets in the United States, and I'm so grateful to be a part of that and in support. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that I am a middle-class white woman with loads to continue to learn and unpack. And I'm so grateful for you that you're coming on to challenge and teach me and my audience um, 
And it's really important for me to bring this conversation to the podcast because I know that the vast majority of my listeners are white women. Right. And I really, my only intention is to be a transparent model of what it looks like to commit over and over and over to being better, to being actively and intentionally anti-racist. Right. And just like we have, you know, we come into the parenting journey with the conditions and the models that we were raised with, you know, it's not just contained to the parenting journey. There's a lot to unpack there when it comes to the way that racism exists inside of us all. For sure. To start, will you talk a little bit about what it means to be anti-racist? Because I feel like that's kind of a new, not a new, obviously it's not a new phrase, but it feels like it's having its moment. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I appreciate you (laughs) correcting yourself when you said it's a new phrase. I I started my activism journey in the late 80s. And and so I'm, I wouldn't call myself old school, because old school, I think, are the people that started in the 60s. Um, maybe even older than that, but uh, but for me, I've been doing anti-racism work and anti-genderism, sexism work, mm-hmm. feminism work, ableism work for for decades. And of course, you know, in the last ten years or so, actively doing childism work, which I think is one of the one of the perhaps most under talked about forms of activism. And uh, I often say that children are uh, one of the largest marginalized demographics on the planet. And so it is something that's been happening for a long time. And I think what's happening right now is uh, bringing it, maybe forcing it into a larger conversation, mm-hmm. which it's not the first time in history that's happened either. There have been times when, it's, when the, this has happened before. I think one thing that might be a little bit different right now is the... Um, access to information, access to video, access to um, planning tools online. Uh, it allows a greater degree of organization. I mean, you said that there's protests happening in the, in the States, but really it's all throughout the world. It's yeah. a phenomenon right now. Um, we're working towards change for many years. It's so gratifying to see a lot of people um, getting involved. And, and like you said yourself, you know, wanting to, be, uh, wanting to be better every day, wanting to learn more every day, and really opening yourself to that because that's challenging because defensiveness is you know such a natural part of that process when when we have to face ourselves yeah i mean and i think it shows up like again in the we have there's plenty of opportunity for that in the parenting journey right yeah um and then but to lift up and out and really look at the way that we interact with other humans and taking an honest look at you know i mean i i was raised in a very white bubble. I still live in a white bubble. Mm -hmm. And so what, you know, and I would say, well, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a racist. I I love everybody. And truth be told, I don't have, I I think I was listening to white fragility, or it may have even been your video that we're going to talk about. Maybe it came from, I've been listening to so much lately, but something that really struck me was, okay, great. You know, white people, I'm not a racist. And how does it feel to be in a room full of people of color when you're the only white person? Like, what's the response to that? And honestly, I've never really had that experience. Mm. So I can't even really tell you other than, you know, being 21 and living in Costa Rica, which was a big party. It wasn't like I was marginalized or anything. I was this cute, young, 
little gringo girl, you know, not the same. So I think it's just really powerful and such an invitation right now for all of us. Um, And you posted a video a few weeks ago called You Are a Racist. Yes, you. Can you talk a little bit more about the message of this video? Sure. And I just want to correct the title. It's not You Are a Racist. It's oh, you no, are you racist. Are, yes, correct. Yes, and I, and that a, is what's written down. Sorry about that. Yes, Thank you. yes. No, it's no problem. And I think, and, and I mentioned that because there's a big difference between the two. Yes. Because you asked me about what it means to be anti-racist. And anti-racist is, you know, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that we look at the world through, that we analyze the systems that we engage in with, that we listen to language with, and, uh, and everything from the media and advertising to government systems, to educational systems, the correction system, the legal system, the financial system, the housing system, everything. Right. And, uh, and the lens is a lens of um, recognizing the systemic inequities that exist, more than inequities, inequities and violence that exists. And, and it, it, it exists in, in systems, it exists in organizational structures, like, you know, my wife works for an architect firm, and we're always looking at, and there are very few people of color in her firm, and we're always kind of looking at how the, the firm is structured in policies and practices and attitudes. So it's like from the personal, you know, one-on-one individual all the way up to the, the largest organization and maybe like global mindset. Mm-hmm. So from the micro to the macro, being willing to look at those things and see, look for, look at and look for the inequities to be willing to see them inside yourself and in other people and and the systems. And the anti-racist part of it is to be doing something to actively change it. Mm -hmm. Now, we can always be doing something if we start with the personal. That journey is is always with us because that system is, you know, it's like they say, like they say, it's closer than our hands and feet. It's part of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we carry that, that system around with us. And, so many people want to, and this is part of part of what I talked about in my video, right? Where so many people want to avoid looking at that because it hurts. Mm-hmm. And that pain is natural. You know, when I first became a feminist, um, this was in the early 90s, it was really hard for me. It was hard for me because I thought I was a good guy. And it was very important to me th- to think of myself as a good person. And then if I allowed myself to think, that I didn't consider women equal human beings as men, that I thought that, that, you know, like I had power over them and that I didn't treat them with respect. Like I, would, I, I, had, to, I, had, to, I had to change my whole vision of myself in order to do that. And I didn't mean I started hating myself because I think that's where one of the reasons people have a tendency to defend themselves. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact. What I, what I did and what I understood even back then, which I don't know how I understood it, but I, what I understood even back then was that if I was going to really make change around this, if I was going to shift the misogyny and the patriarchal lens that I had before my eyes, and it was a, it was a lens that was imposed on me. It's not like I, I got up when I was a kid and thought, I think I'll um, you know, view women this way. It wasn't like mm-hmm. that. It was imposed on me. But still, as an adult, I had the the opportunity and the choice to see the lens once it was pointed out to me. Right. And, uh, and I did, and I knew that in order to really be able to dig into it, one of my main practices had to be self-love and self-compassion. Mm. So when I teach, I mean, when I teach anything, I always use self-love and self-compassion as the foundation because we can't absorb an intense amount of criticism and self-reflection if we don't have 
a solid foundation of self-love and self-compassion to buffer it. Otherwise, it just feels like we're getting punished by our parents again. And then we, we withdraw or right. we resist. Defend. Yeah. Yep. 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 For sure. Every time someone gets defensive, I see that I see the the hurt child coming out and trying mm-hmm. to protect themselves. That's what I see in that defensiveness. And if we can see that in ourselves when we get defensive, then we can give ourselves that love. We can give ourselves that compassion, and we can hold that for ourselves. Um, I think that's one of the one of the roots of accountability. Is I, I mean I don't know if if this is obvious, but I think one of the roots of accountability is self love, because when we love ourselves truly, we can look at ourselves honestly. And, um, and you know, the change, what I talked about in my, in my video, and the reason I said you are racist, yes, you, the yes, you is the defensive part. No, not me. <laughs> that's the, that's uh, right, right, right. <laughs> this video isn't for me. Right, exactly. And, uh, and so I really wanted people to, um, to, to not see it as such a bad thing. It's not an insult. When someone says mm-hmm. to you, you're, you're racist, it's not, not to take it as an insult, because it really isn't. I mean, maybe somebody means it that way. But what it really is, is a description of a mindset, perception, filter, and lens, like I was talking about, and maybe actions and words and, uh, you know, and, no- and knowledge, but it's not you. It's not saying you are a bad person. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the more you take it in, the better we end up feeling about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I have found that, you know, and self-evaluation requires real courage. By the way, you can jump in anytime, Casey, while, while we're talking. If you have an insight well, yeah, or something, I would love I, well, to hear it. I have it. a thought. I have a thought right now because yeah. um, like just the word, it was, I'm like I said, I'm listening to a lot right now. And, you know, unpacking the word racist for most of us, most of us, for me, I'm just going to speak for myself. When sure. I think racist, I think of like the KKK. I think of right. white supremacists. I think of these right. like extremely terrible people doing overt actions, hating on others, right? Right, And so it's interesting to have this invitation. And it's not so much like the word that's coming up is a softening of the word racism, but that's not right. But it's just kind of maybe it's an an expansion of the word. So Mm. that yes, those people, those people, yes, extreme hate-filled people live inside of it, but so do I, right? right? And so recognizing that and being willing, you know, even, I I mean, I love that you titled your video that because it starts off with stirring people up, Mm. like just the title of that video, like, oh, who does this guy think? This was not my experience, I might say, but I'm guessing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who does this guy think he is saying this? I'm going to listen to this. And then you proceed, you know, to just really eloquently invite the viewer into, again, recognizing their own stuff. And I love what you're talking about, especially with self-compassion, because as we peel back layers and start to recognize how individual, like as individual people, how we may have, like, you know, for some people, microaggressions is a new term Mm. and recognizing like, oh, I've, I've done that, you know, or, understanding that, you know, like, I mean, there's so many little things that people of color have had to deal with on the daily that, you know, some of us white people were just in such ignorance and cluelessness about, and now we're finding out like, oh, I didn't even know that that was problematic, which often can be followed by guilt and shame, enter in some self-compassion because what I, you know, and when I have this conversation with parents, because we, you and I, 
tend to be on the same mindset around parenting. And so when they learn more about, I teach positive discipline and um, relationship-based parenting, and they start to see the places where what they were doing were hurtful or not helpful or both. And then again, it's the kind of the same kind of experience of, oh my gosh, I can sit here and feel ashamed and guilty and beat up about how I have done things, or I can be in celebration of, oh, I'm so grateful that my eyes are wider open now and I can choose to do something different. And I can love myself because I'm always doing the best I can with the tools and the consciousness that I have in the moment, which includes you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whenever or yesterday. (laughs) Right. 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 So I just really appreciate the conversation around self-compassion here as well, because this is, this is big work and this is, you know, shaking things up the way that it needs to. So that hopefully real systematic, powerful change can happen for all of us, for all of us. When we lift up the people that are oppressed, all of us benefit from it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel that way, I think, a lot of the time, because I think there's a fear of people who are in power losing power. But the kind of power that exists from stepping on other people and standing on their backs, mm-hmm. uh, that's not real power. Real power is when, we're, when we come together. You know, when we come together in true collaboration and truly seeing each other and, uh, and being, you know, being together, that's when we have real power. You know, when we, when we can love ourselves like you were talking about, then we can go towards the discomfort rather than shy away from it. And I think that's one of the most important uh, aspects of the self-love and the uh, anti-racist self-evaluative journey. Because being, being able to evaluate ourselves requires courage mm-hmm. and uh, joyful courage, I might say. It requires, <laughs> real, it requires real, <laughs> real courage. I gave uh, just a, um, last week, I gave a workshop for kids on anti-racism and racism, anti-racism and how they can get involved in social justice. It was really powerful. And wow. uh, it was such a great workshop. I'm still kind of buzzed by it. And we're doing another one this coming Friday. Great. Um, yeah. It's called racism and me. And it was put on by an organization called schoolclosures.org. And um, one of the things I told the kids was that I said, I said, I encourage you to have courage. And I realized, oh, wait a minute, the word encourage has courage in it. And I was so excited yep. by that. Yeah. And the reason for that is, and I love that you said celebrate too, Casey, because oh, I love that word celebrate, you know, to, mm-hmm. ce- to celebrate the discomfort is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, I often say that when we're trying to change paradigms and, and look at ourselves uh, and see the parts of us that we're programmed with rather than our things that we, we chose, it can feel like a, it can feel as, as painful as like a cheese grater rubbing across your brain. <laughs> and, uh, and I always say chase the cheese grater. Oh, thanks for the visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the people who um, the people who do the work, I work with a, a number of parents quite intimately. And the people who do the work on a regular basis to chase the cheese grater have these incredible openings inside themselves with their relationship mm-hmm. with themselves. Yeah. Um, incredible changes in how they uh, and the relationships they have with their kid and the way their kids are able to be open with them. It's really a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing. And I think it really connects with how we are able to help our kids learn about racism, anti-racism, and other social justice issues in, in the world, because um, we can help them have the same courage to do self-evaluation and to move towards the discomfort and feel safe in doing that. Yeah. And I think that that's 
you know, for me, it's something that's always really important is that I am modeling the courage to be imperfect and mm. the courage to learn more and do better and clean up the mess when I make them. And yeah. which is, you know, pretty regular. And just so that that there isn't this idea that you get to a certain age and it's like, okay, well, you're an adult. So now you've got it all together. Right. I mean, just even in the last 10 years, my evolutionary process as a human being has, you know, been astronomical as compared Mm. to the first 35 years of my life. And so Mm. just, I'm really transparent with my kids. and we're going to get into, I really want you to share for listeners about like specific steps and things that we can do to bring the anti-racism work into the family. And just to share my own, you know, just simply being transparent. You know, I had a really slippery Instagram conversation with somebody just yesterday and um, really trying to do the right thing and and to not be silencing anyone, but also standing in what is true for me and how that felt inside of a conversation about, you know, race and Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And and it was very uncomfortable. And, mm. you know, one thing that I did is before I sent a message, I actually wrote it out so that I could be really clear and, and asked myself, well, what is my intention here? And mm. what is it that I'm trying to convey? And you know, and talking about that with my kids and, you know, we went here in Bellingham, we had a really lovely uh, rally downtown. There was like five to 10,000 people oh, and wow. all the speakers. Yeah. Bellingham's not, not huge. Where's um, Bellingham? It's up in, it's North of Seattle. It's about an hour oh, and a okay. half North of Seattle, just below the Canadian border. So all of the speakers were people of color. We have um, a really solid, indigenous people um, presence here in the area. And there were speakers from the local Lummi tribe. And, you know, I, I made a point like the kids, we came and I made a point of saying, okay, we're here to listen, you know? And so if you run into friends or whatever, like that's fine, but really we're not here to have a party. We're here to listen Mm -hmm. to, you know, the voices that are being amplified for us today. Mm -hmm. What do you like, as you talk to families and parents and, and I'd love to know too about your conversations with kids what is it that kids want to know? What are the questions that they're asking? And how are you supporting families in bringing this all home in a really meaningful way? Like beyond just, let's watch a movie, you know? Right, right. <laughs> a couple of questions in there. So let's... Yeah, let's, sorry. Let, no, no, I it's okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, when we get excited, that happens, yeah. right? Uh, so many thoughts come and and this is, a, you know, these are important conversations to, to have. I think... Um, you know, as as parents, part of what we're doing, I always like to zoom in and zoom out when I think about things. Yeah, so part, good. Part part of what we're doing is we're 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 working with our kids, we're raising them, we're helping them learn stuff. At the same time, every interaction that we have with our children is shaping the whole world and the future of the world. It's both at the same time. And uh, and I always try when I'm with my kid or any kid that I interact with, because I've worked with kids a lot, a lot, a lot over the decades. And, uh, and still do. Whenever I'm interacting with children, I'm always thinking about the, the relationship I have with them and, and how my uh, thoughts and my choices and my words and my actions are impacting my relationship with them and their relationship with themselves. 
Um, and I'm also zooming out and thinking how this interaction is going to affect all the ripples that this, this child will, will create as they go out to the world. And how can I be a part of that ripple and, uh, and help that ripple be something powerful and empowered and, mm-hmm. yeah, and really, uh, really strong. And I think one thing to, one thing to do for, for parents that can really help is to embrace this idea that, yes, I'm parenting and I'm also creating the world that I'm set, I'm creating the world I'm setting my kid out into by the way I parent them. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly, you know, doing that from a perspective of social justice is, is really important. Because even if this present protest and movement rises up and some change happens, uh, we're far away from being able to get um, rid racism from our, our systems and our world. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. And then there's, you know, ableism and ageism and body sizeism. Was that mm-hmm. just sizeism? I guess they call it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, homophobia and transphobia and the list goes on and on and on and on really and for us to be able to bring that to our children's consciousness not just in like you said not just watching a movie but to make it a part of how we interact with the world Mm -hmm. to make it you know you talked about systemic change one of the places that we can really affect systemic changes in our in our homes Mm -hmm. Um, the other day i was going to be giving a talk on anti-racism and teenagers and I asked my kid, what do you think is really important for parents to know about teenagers when they want to help them and guide them? And she said, Dad, you know, you're one of your one-liners. I write a lot, a lot of one-liners, by the way. It's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, she said, Dad, one of your one-liners that I like the best is, I didn't teach my kid what to think. I taught her how to think. Mm, yes. And that requires a lot of letting go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it yeah. in your yeah. yeah, a lot of letting go of the narrative yeah. and the you shoulds and just do this and the directives that can come up. Yes, yes. For sure. Yeah, and, you know, letting go of the perfectionism that we expect from our kids mm-hmm. a lot of the time, too. Letting, because learning is, learning yeah, is messy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good Thank time. you. We, we had the same word. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're on the same page for sure. That's great. It's yeah. messy, you know, and and instead of avoiding the mess, if we get into the mess with our kids, it's so much more profound. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 
20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey, everybody. Listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics, put it to the music that I picked and... The results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever. After moving through their process, you get the final results in four to seven days. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free. So you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care. Start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Go to songfinch.com slash joyful and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, which is a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash joyful. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash joyful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my, I call myself a mistake-making machine. Mm-hmm. And I call myself that so I can recognize that I don't have something over my ch- children when they make mistakes. We're doing it together. We're learning it together. And helping her, how, helping her learn how to think and how to frame things and how to evaluate things. Not just how to think, but like how to feel, you know, because how, to be able to have a deep relationship with our feelings is, is so mm-hmm. important too. And parents are often shutting down kids' feelings um, when they're challenging or inconvenient or embarrassing. Right. Um, and, and certainly, I'm not blaming the parents or shaming them for doing it because we learned that from our parents and they learned it from their parents and the whole message is reflected in society. Yeah. Well, and probably we're doing a lot of our own shutting down of feelings. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to feel my feelings. So you expressing your feelings right here in front of me is stirring up all sorts of stuff that I don't want to deal with inside <laughs> of me. So you need to just stop. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh, it's just yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah, that's why uh, conscious parenting is cycle breaking, right? Mm -hmm. It's really powerful cycle breaking and cycle breakers are warriors for sure. Yeah, yeah. So So, like what kind of, so you have this conversation with your daughter and then so what did you bring to the group of parents that you did the talk for? Yeah, for sure. Um, So here, one of the things is that I think it's really important for parents to not be afraid to show kids the pain of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think parents often want to protect their kids from. I think there's a certain amount of that protection that makes sense. And I think there's a certain amount of that protection that doesn't. I think that, um, you know, like there's a certain privilege in being able to protect our kids from the pain of the world. And um, that doesn't mean when I say that, I don't mean hurting your kids. 
Sure. I don't, I don't mean that, but I do mean that there is pain in the world that we can let our kids see pain of racism, um, pain of all the different people who are marginalized. And, you know, kids have a very strong sense of fairness. Kids are always saying that's not fair, right? So yes. <laughs> they have this intuitive sense of fairness. And one of the things that I often encourage parents to do is instead of, because a lot of the time parents will tell kids not to focus on that. It doesn't matter if it's fair, you're supposed to just share. It doesn't matter if, mm -hmm. it's, if it's fair, just be nice. Um, but there's something powerful in their intuitive understanding of fairness. And what we can help them do is focus that awareness of fairness. Awareness of fairness. I love that it rhymes. <laughs> we, can, we, can, <laughs> we can help them see how many places in society aren't fair. Right. You know, um, we can help them see the, what the um, what the results of that unfairness are and help them really value that fairness so that they'll want to fight for that fairness. They'll want to stand up for that fairness. Well, um, it's a great launch pad for the conversation around equal, you know, equality versus equity. Yes. Right. Yes. Because I think kids, you know, with the fair, you know, and somebody once said to me, you know, equal is we all get the same shirt to wear equitable is we all get the right size mm. shirt to wear. I mean, that's a very simplified way of kind of making the distinction between the two. But I think for kids, especially, you know, in the sibling dynamic, right? A seven-year-old and a 10-year-old equal doesn't really make sense. Equitable does, right? right. And, and what does that mean when you're seven and, you know, big brother gets to stay up later or right. have a bigger portion or whatever, you know? Yeah fill yeah. in the blank. Yeah, for sure. And certainly age is one of the places where they feel their, their, their sense of fairness and unfairness the most. Yeah. <laughs> um, because kids, because, because we, we just generally, we aren't fair to kids. We really aren't. We don't, we don't treat them with the same kind of, I don't, when I say we, I mean, mainstream consciousness of how to treat children. We don't treat them with the same right. sense or, of, or like all of us when we're not tapped into our, best selves. I mean, yes. ultimately yes. <laughs> I can be, I can be a parent coach and I can be on the path of, of conscious parenting and a facilitator of positive discipline and still For sure. be in my reactive self and not show up as well as I could have in retrospect. Right. Yeah. And I think that's part of the process. We're always For in sure. process. You know, that's yeah. why you said that you always want to be learning and you're always wanted to be, want to be growing in this. Right. Right. And uh, and it's it's true in parenting, it's true in anti-racism, it's true all over the place. Hey there, just popping in here to remind you that this show is supported by BetterHelp. And let me just tell you what that means. I have partnered with BetterHelp because I believe in their service. They are an online counseling service and they have certified therapists, psychologists, um, counselors on staff waiting to support you in a variety of mental health challenges. I appreciate that it is a convenient, confidential way of getting our mental health needs taken care of. There's a lot going on right now from the quarantining and underlying anxiety around the pandemic to the social and racial unrest that's happening in our streets every day, and it takes a toll on our mental health. So it is my honor to guide you towards better help. 
Now, what happens is when people sign up for BetterHelp through me, I do get a kickback, but you also get a discount. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash joyful courage, betterhelp.com slash joyful courage, you'll get 10% off your first month and you'll be supporting the podcast by reaching out to them through my unique link. BetterHelp, we all deserve to be happy. Yeah, I think recognizing that knowledge is that knowledge is power is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in uh, in order to in order to be able to really you know, give kids the knowledge, even the difficult knowledge that we want to share with them, there's two things. One, we have to be doing our own learning and our own research. Yes. Um, so I think I say learn something every day. Try and learn something about if you want to be an anti-racist ally. Try and learn something every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and every day I put in quotes. I mean, you know, no one has time to learn something every day. But like, but like, have the idea in mind that you're going to try and listen. Well, these days, maybe try and learn something yeah. about it every day, whether it's learn something inside about yourself or it's learn something by, by Googling, reading something, watching a YouTube video, watching mm-hmm. half a YouTube video. Just try and put your mind in that, sen- in that mindset of, of wanting to learn something every day. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is to face our own fear around these topics because we can hold a lot of fear around it. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of fear of judgment, a lot of fear. You mentioned the shame and blame earlier. Um, and the, you know, we, we, again, as children, we're not taught to, to manage those difficult feelings. Usually right. I certainly wasn't, I had to learn the whole, I've had to learn that whole process, you know, from scratch in order to, to help my kid uh, learn it for herself so that she didn't have right. this disconnected relationship with her emotions. Right. And so I think, Talking about how to help our kids learn to be anti-racists or social justice activists in general, to have a social justice lens and a mindset. I, when I talk about parenting and re- replacing the mainstream, coercive, control-based, authority, hierarchical, power-based relationship that adults have with kids, mm-hmm. I'm just telling parents not to do that doesn't help them because then what do they replace it with and what do they do? Parents always say, okay, Vivek, you tell me not to punish my kids and not to give them consequences, but what do I do? Right, right, right. Yeah. You take and away so, all the tools, there's none left in the toolbox. Right, right, right. right. And uh, which still might be better. <laughs> so, some, yeah, in some instances, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. But still, I mean, I, mean I, I guide parents enough that I want to help them to actually make changes and to give them tools. And so one of the main things I, I talk about is replacing that relationship with a relationship, mm-hmm. what I call the three three times three relationship. It's mm-hmm. the relationship of model, guide, and friend. Model and guide and friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the second three is, with the children, is relationship with self, mm-hmm. relationship with parent, and relationship with the environment. And the environment is other people and the systems that they would engage in, like we mentioned earlier, the education system, the financial system, and the legal sure. system, and all that stuff. And so with these three, with these six relationships, um, we can have really powerful framework to look at how we're inspiring them to take on the, I, the mindset of, of, of justice and equity, like you said. Yeah. Um, we can empower them to value kindness. Um, we can empower them to speak up when they witness injustice and to recognize and to validate the fear that comes with that and the challenges that come with that. And also to help them feel um, the joy that comes from that, even in small moments, you know, from 
And, and from small moments all the way up to big moments. Again, I'm doing the zooming in and out thing, right? I, right, right. One of, one of my acronyms is SMABO, which stands for Small Moments Affect Big Ones. And there are families all over right now talking about SMABO. I love it. And, and, small and so, moments affect big ones. Big ones, yes. SMABO. Okay. SMABO. And when I do workshops, I, when I do workshops or speak at conferences and stuff, I always get everybody to yell out, SMABO! Louder, louder, <laughs> SMABO! <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, like, because we can show them the protests and everything, but we can also show them little things that we see on TV. Hey, look at how this commercial had only white people. Yes. Right. Yeah. Look at how uh, look at how that show treated that Indian person. Like for me, I mean, my my family is of Indian descent. So I was mm-hmm. I was born here in Toronto. I'm from Toronto. I was born here in Toronto. Well, my parents were both born in India. Um, they came here for economic reasons, and they actually met when they were here. Uh, mm-hmm. That's like they came here. Both came here when they were like their teens, so like a long mm-hmm. time ago. And. And as an Indian person growing up in Toronto, I faced a lot of racism, um, a lot of go back home, a lot of uh, violence. I would, I talked about this in my video too. I would have, yeah. um, you know, gangs of uh, white teenagers drive by in their car and throw things at me, like metal pipes and rocks and stuff. Mm. People would egg our house. And I went through like intense, intense bullying when I was a kid for, for being of Indian descent. And then on top of that, when I would watch TV, up until very, very recently, the only Indian characters you would see were made fun of for their accent. Yeah, caricatures. Yeah. They were yeah. Uh, variety, they either worked as a variety store owners or they drove a, a cab, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then everybody would laugh at, at, their, uh, at their accent. And it was very painful for me because I never saw another representation of myself. We just we just watched the three uh, my wife daughter and I we just watched a movie called Yesterday on Netflix which I is love about that Did movie. you watch it? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so, so good. good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and the the premise of the movie is some something happens and shifts the reality of the world and there's no Beatles music and there's only one person who remembers all of the Beatles music and he becomes <laughs> right. famous. Right. And the, the, the protagonist of the movie was an Indian guy mm-hmm. with an Indian family, and he was never made fun of for being Indian. And I watched mm-hmm. the thing, like part of me was, was enjoying the movie, but part of me was just like, in awe watching this, uh, you know, this Indian man being propelled to world fame and everything, and it never having anything to do with his Indianness. And it was just, right. you know, he was a person and people related to him like a person. I was like, oh my gosh, they're relating to him like a person. It was so, Casey was stunning for me to watch an Indian person being related to as a person. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, how, how, um, how to impress how important it is to, to, to see that that's how I saw it. Yeah. You know, because it's just not the message that I received. Right. And, uh, and to help kids who don't experience that recognize that other people do experience that. I mean, there's a certain pain, pain in doing that for, with our kids because it, we, 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 and rightly so, we feel that maybe part of their innocence is being taken away. Uh, I think it's really important to do that. You know, when, when my kid would experience pain, like my, so I'm from India, my wife is black from Trinidad, mm-hmm. so we're a mixed mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And being not white is, is something that is all, we're always aware of in all yeah. of our interactions. Yeah, everywhere we go and in every system we interact with. I, I, I acknowledge I'm not black, so it doesn't have the same impact. But when I'm driving down the street 
and and I see a a, a cop, I get I get I get very afraid. I'm, I'm you know like I don't want to get I don't want to get pulled over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I certainly don't have the same experience as Black Canadians and Black Americans in that in that regard. But I'm not white, and I know I know how things go. Right. So I'm, I'm always afraid. I mean, of I don't want to get I don't want to get pulled over either. But I just like well, I don't want to get a fucking ticket. Right. <laughs> I never. I'm afraid of how this could spin out and potentially cause me harm beyond. Right. I'm gonna have to pay a ticket ever. Right. And never have that. Yeah. Experience. So. Yeah, for sure. And so the model guide friend framework, I think, is so powerful because the modeling is how we walk in the world, you know? Right. Um, yes. And I do, I talk about two, two kinds of, well, there's like, a, I like to break things down. So there's like modeling with how I treat myself, modeling mm-hmm. with how, and how I'm treating my kid and modeling how I, with how I engage in my environment. That's the relationship with self, relationship with parent, relationship with environment part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I also talk about modeling out loud. Which and you yes. you kind of you gave an example of that too, right? Where you said you had you had to write this letter and everything, and then you shared that process with your kids. Yeah, and that's modeling out loud because modeling is one thing. We 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 because kids are always watching us, right. and then when we actually talk about our experience with them and and express it vulnerably, what our experience was, then they get to hear us and see us as humans on this path. I think it's so. I think modeling out loud is one of the most powerful things that we can do for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell a, a, a quick story. Well, like, none of my stories are quick. When I was in... When, <laughs> I'm when, noticing when, that about you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> anyway, back in 2015, um, when my, my kid would have been 18 at the time, I was in, we were in a store and um, we were buying some clothes. She, it was like one of the stores she likes to buy clothes from. And we had bought a couple of shirts, whatever. And we were walking out of the store. And just as we walked out into the parking lot, I heard this woman yelp. And I looked over and this, this old woman, she must've been like 75, had her hands over her head, no hair on her head. And her wig was, was rolling down the street. It was really windy that day and it had blown off her head and it was flying down the street. And her daughter was with her. Her daughter must've been 55 or something. And and the two of them were together, like staring at, there's no way they could run after that wig. So I just looked at my kid and, and I gave her the nod and we have this like nod because all throughout our lives, Anytime I have a chance to help somebody, especially when she's around, I wouldn't say especially when she's around, that's not true. But when she's around, we, we have this understanding that, you know, if we have a chance to help somebody, we do. And, uh, and with, with discernment for, for safety and things like that to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a wig flying down the road. There was not a lot of safety in, involved. So I gave her the look. She gave me the nod um, and I took off. Mm-hmm. And I was running after this wig and it was like a little animal scurrying away from me. <laughs> and every time I would get close to it, it a gust of wind would, would, uh, would, would blow up and shoot it away. I'm sure that it was a hundred percent that wind was being controlled by the divine to, to make this comical as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, at one point I thought I have to, I have to just go for it. And I did a, I did, I, I did a diving roll and grabbed the wig out of the air and uh, and came up and I held it up in my hand in triumph and the yes, three of victory. them were standing yes exactly and the three <laughs> of them were clapping and cheering and it was this beautiful human moment and I went over to the two of them and I I gave grandma the wig back and and they hugged me and they were so thank you young man it was nice to be called young man at 45 yeah. thank you young <laughs> man thank you so much and my daughter was watching all this happening and so it was really beautiful and they went to the store we got into the car now the modeling now the, so that was the modeling part the modeling out loud part was i didn't say you know what you should 
always help somebody when they're in trouble and that's how you should behave. That's right, not really right. modeling out loud, right? That's lecture. Right, right. Nobody wants right, to right, that. right. And it's also but from I, a place of like you're you're not doing this well uh-huh, enough. You could do better. Uh-huh. Like there's a, there's some hidden there's some quiet messages that go with that. Yeah. Thank you. That's really yeah. helpful to me. I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. What I did instead was I went, I feel so good after that. That was so empowering right. and that was so much fun. I, I'm just so happy to help people in situations like that, that I can do that. And I'm so glad you were here with me to witness that. Yeah. You know, I really, I really love that we do these kind of things together. It was so wonderful. That's how I, that's how I modeled out loud. And then when we got home, we told mom the story and got to do the whole modeling and modeling out loud thing yeah. a second time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and now she's 23, five years later. You know, she's heard me, she hears me tell this story occasionally when I'm, when I'm talking to parents and stuff. And so the modeling still happens even from five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't end. Well, and I just love that because you're give like, this is how we can be in the world. You know, my mm. kids always, my kids are so funny. They can feel energetically when I'm, because I talk to everybody. I love talking yeah. to people. It's And I yeah. never, like, whether it's the grocery store clerk or somebody we're passing on the street and you know, they, I can feel them like, oh, here she goes. You know, I can just feel like, oh, geez, mom, you know, and I'm just so grateful for that. It's not hard for me, like for my temperament and my personality, it is not hard for me to interact with the world from a, you know, most of the time from a very authentic and transparent place. And you know, and I don't have two extroverts. I have one extrovert and one introvert. Mm. And especially mm. the introvert, I'm especially grateful that she can see what it looks like mm. to step into conversation with strangers and not have it be scary and not have it be, yeah. you know, well, basically scary because that's what gets in her yeah. way, you know, and uncomfortable. Yeah. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it's super awkward. And the kids are like, right. you know, nice one, mom. You know, and yeah. I get to just say like, ooh, that was kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that modeling piece is so powerful and coming back to yeah. bringing that anti-racism work in the family. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think that there's this, and the same thing happens when it's a parenting conversation. Like, give me the solid yeah. three takeaway yeah. steps. <laughs> yeah. Right. And really, what this conversation is reminding me of is it's not so much a doing mm-hmm. as it is a being and a continuous stepping mm-hmm. into being and a continuous stepping into being. And, um, and so listeners, you know, yeah. surprise, <laughs> it's not three right. solid steps to do, you know, to create an anti-racist home environment. It's really about how are you intersecting with your own right. conditioning, right? And then how are you showing, like, how are you, how are you modeling? Yeah. I mean, again and again and again, and, and creating that relationship with your child so that the modeling lands. Like once, one of the things you said is it's not about teaching her what to mm. think, but how to think. And again, in my mind, I can hear the parent mind going like, okay, so how do we teach them mm-hmm. how to think? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, again, it's one of those places where it's like bigger than here's right. the formula. I can tell you, I can tell you one right? tip it's, around it's, how to think. Yeah. So one thing that, one thing that I do with, with young people is if they have something they're going through or something that they have to deal with or a decision that they have to make, I try not to tell them what decision is best. What I try and do is mm-hmm. lay out all of the different potential options that they have to talk about all of the different impacts that those different options can have. 
and then let them have that information and say, now that you have this information, listen to your own heart, listen to your own mind, think about what's important to you and what you value, and then think about how you want to approach the situation and share it with me. And then we'll hold that together and we'll work on that together. And it's mm-hmm. so different, you know, like, for example, yeah. when my daughter was like 10 or something, she stole, stole $20 from her uncle's place. And uh, we were at his place and there was $20 in a bowl or something. And she took it and put it in her pocket. And when she came back, uh, when we came back home, she told me about it, um, which is, which is mm-hmm. a blessing in and of itself that she stole something and she just wanted to tell me mm-hmm. and, uh, and felt safe to tell mm-hmm. me. And, uh, and so I asked her, how do you feel about it? And she goes, well, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. I said, okay. And I didn't say, oh, you know, if you steal from your uncle, he might not trust you anymore. I didn't say that. All right. I said, right. you know, um, uh, I said, you know, what, like thinking about how you feel about it is a really important step in this because there's no one way to think about something like this. You might feel good about it. You might feel bad about it. It might be a combination of those two things. Maybe part mm-hmm. of it, it was, it was exciting to do it. And part of it, you might think about the mm-hmm. effect it'll have on your uncle. Maybe he won't even notice it. So then maybe it's got nothing to do with him. Maybe it's also mm-hmm. just the kind of person you want to be. And you really want to think about all these kind of things when you're deciding how you, when you're looking at how you want to feel. about it. And then she's like, okay, well now what do I do? And I said, well, that same thing. I said, there's many different choices. You can, we can, we can take the money mm-hmm. back and, uh, and apologize and say, I did this. And you know, your uncle, he'll love you no matter what. He's going to be fine. And she was like, yeah, okay. And I said, you can also, we can, the opposite end of that is you can just keep the money and we'll never tell him. And maybe that, maybe that feels right mm-hmm. to you. And then we can do that. And I didn't say it like, uh, like I, I didn't put a different emotional tone into that, into that decision. Cause then I'm trying to tell right. her what to think it's subtle. And it's so hard to keep that, that directive yeah, back, so you know, but, and then we looked at different things in between, uh, you know, like um, one of the ideas we had was give him $20 for his birthday, next birthday. And we'll know that we returned the $20, but he will never know that <laughs> another one. And what we ended yeah. up coming up with, was that um, she really did want to return the money. She did want to keep it. It didn't feel good to her to keep it. Um, but she also didn't really feel comfortable facing him directly. And, uh, and so we came mm-hmm. up with this plan that we would go over to his place. I would distract him by taking him into the back room to look at his computer. And she would put it back in the bowl. And then we would leave together. And we did exactly that. It went, the, the caper went off without a hitch. And, uh, and when, we got, when we got out of there, she, the, two things will happen. One, she really felt her own value around caring about other people's property. It wasn't a value I imposed on her mm-hmm. and, and relationship too. It wasn't mm-hmm. a value I imposed on her. It came from so deep, the inside out, because I gave her the freedom to look at herself. And, uh, yeah. and I still told her about the different kind of impacts that could happen. I just didn't put pressure on her to, to think about it. And what, and it's the power, it's the yeah. power relationship there, right? I think, um, I didn't hold power over her in it. I was her guide. And a guide is somebody who has mm-hmm. some more understanding than you, more experience than you, and they share it with you so that you can find your own way. Hey, friends. As a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky 
and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Well, and I think too, having conversations like that, I think that the relationship that we build with our kids mm. creates an environment that a conversation like that can be neutral. Right. Right. So I right. also just want to tell listeners, you know, if you're feeling like, oh, well, my kid, you know, would respond this way or my kid would respond that way. Like what I'm remembering about you, Vivek, is that you have shared about the importance of relationship every step of the way with your yeah. daughter yeah. so that the space really did feel neutral to her and she didn't feel judged and she right. did feel seen. And another thing that came up for me too, is something that we talk about in positive discipline, which mm. is motivational curiosity questions is the technical term for mm. it, but basically yeah, like it. coming into that same conversation and looking for places to draw forth from our kids, right? Like, so what, what might happen if you do this or what might happen if you do mm -hmm. that? And, and if any, anyone who has know that sometimes the answer is, I don't know, right. you know, and that's when you can then say, well, could it be that this is the outcome? Right. Right. But I, um, and I'm guessing you probably did that. With yeah, just, exactly. exactly. Yeah. That was a lot of part of the conversation yeah. too, that question asking. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, if she had said, I want to keep the money, which is, I think one of parents, parents' worst fears Right. <laughs> if I'm yeah. not with them and they want to keep the money, if they, if she said, I want to keep the money, I, uh, I 100% would have stood by her. And I would have mm -hmm. not made her feel wrong or shame at all, because the moment I would have done that. That's hard next, to do. That'd be hard. I know. I mean. <laughs> I know. And it's hard to stay out of the, what kind of parent am I? Right, right. And, and but the, see, the thing is, this is the zooming in, zooming out thing, right? If I'm I so zoom inside in, of this, I'm so inside of this challenge right now with a different context with one of my kids. Like, uh -huh. you're making this informed decision that I didn't want you to make. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, it's powerful. It's powerful to hold that space for young ones. And yeah. part of it is the relationship like that you're talking about. You know, if I zoom in on just this one experience, I might say, oh, he's condoning bad behavior. That's what I hear all the time. He's condoning right. bad behavior. I'm a big condoner of bad behavior, Casey. And, uh, <laughs> and I should probably re re uh, rename my whole parenting strategy as condoning bad behavior. But th <laughs> So there's a couple of reasons why. Number one is... There's nothing my daughter could do that's worse than the stuff I did in my teen years. Right? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's exactly a – I made that – oh, my gosh. It's so funny that we're yeah. having this conversation right now. Yes, <laughs> correct. Go on. And the, sec <laughs> the second is my work as a guide inspiring and, and helping her learn values education, which I think is really important. A lot of parents think, oh, the way Vivek uh, does things is not, is, he's hands off, he doesn't teach. But this is the opposite. Right. I take the teaching right. role, I take the guiding role very seriously. I mean, it's one of the three roles, model, guide, and friend. But in order to make that a, a lifelong process, not just a one incident process. And right. so if I want to help her learn this lesson over a long arc of time, so that when she's 18, 20, 25, whatever, and goes out into the world, the value is deep inside of her. I, I can't break the connection and the trust in this one moment and make her feel mm -hmm. judged. It's too, it's too, too high a cost for me because yeah. I want that, I want that guiding journey to be something that lasts throughout her life. And I mean, I have a 23 year old that doesn't only, it's not only that she doesn't roll her eyes at me, but she wants to know my opinion on things. She wants mm -hmm. to know her, her wisdom and all her friends too. Her friends are like, what does your dad think about it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> they want to know, because they know in their cells and their nervous system, they know that when I share something, um, I'm not judging them. And it's for their, it's because I want, I want the best for them. I really do. You know, yeah. and of course all parents do, but not all kids feel it. And that's the difference. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think bringing this back to this anti-racism work, I think a lot of what we're talking about right now, we can put underneath the context of the conversations that we're having with our kids in the home and the mistakes mm. that they might be making. Cause I know, you know, kids say random things and, and there's things that have shown up with my kids. And I'm like, I, I feel that like, <gasps> that yeah. was not thoughtful or that wasn't yeah. okay. And yeah. we get to like, you're talking about really work towards coming from a place of being curious and being neutral mm. and supporting them in, in rec and in seeing themselves instead of dictating what it is that we are seeing from the outside of right. them, right? right? We want our kids to be able to see themselves as players in the world with influence and, you know, every action has a consequence. It's not right. something that we impose. It's just a fact, yeah. you know? Yeah, there's one thing that's really important, I think, in this anti-racism work. Yes. And again, um, you know, like, so when you were talking about uh, wanting the three steps, I think uh, the three steps, I think that's really important. I've always talked about that I don't teach practical tips, I teach impractical tips. Right. And because uh, <laughs> a practical tip is you have situation A, you do method B, and you get result C. Right. As um, if we're robots. As if, yes, right. Carry right, on. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so, um, so a lot of it is the soup. That we um, that we steep our kids in. No, that's not a good analogy. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, you, don't, you don't steep about... soup. Yeah, the tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, goodness. And so the model guide friend. One of the places that that we model and also uh, guide and also the the friend relationship. The friend relationship is so important because it's a relationship of, of it's a human relationship, right? It's not a, a structural relationship. It's a human relationship. 
Right. And one of yes. the one of the places that we model most is in our use of power. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, like like r- racism and structural racism and sexism and misogyny and ableism and uh, and homophobia and all of that stuff, all of it has its roots. One of the roots, I won't say its roots, but one of the roots is in power. And power over, exactly, not power mm-hmm. with. And it's a use of power that is based on trauma and wounding and fear and pain mm-hmm. and not on deep connected human relationships. Mm-hmm. And so as parents, we have systemic power over our kids. And I define, this is my own definition of systemic power because I like rhyming, is power that you didn't choose and power you can't refuse. Power that you didn't choose and power that you can't refuse from the kid's perspective. Yeah. Well, it's not, really how a does that, it's not a perspective okay. like being white. You didn't choose, but you can't refuse it. Okay. Well, yes. Okay. Got it. Right. Yes. And so, and so yeah. therefore you have systemic power as a white person. Yes. You can't refuse that power no matter how hard you try. Right. And, uh, and so it's, it's like that. But so I can the, use it in mm, better ways. Mm, this is where I'm coming from. <laughs> This is exactly where I'm coming from. And how, and so, so the systemic power we have with our kids is we have economic power over them up to a certain age. Mm-hmm. We have emotional power of them because they're so, they're so connected to, uh, to our, our, our emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they need connection and the way we interact with that uh, affects them. That's why so many kids are, are broken so early because they don't have um, adults who are aware of that and, and engage with them from that perspective. We have physical power over them, where we can uh, we can uh, access to resources power over them, right? So we can take their stuff. They don't even have any stuff, you know. Even a kid who's fourteen and gets a, a paper route or or a job washing dishes and they make money and they buy an iPod, we can just take it, and they can't do anything. They can't they can't claim it's theirs. They can't take us to court. We, they can't do anything. They're powerless. We can put them in their rooms. I mean, the only other people that can have that happen to them are, are prisoners. We can put them in mm-hmm. their rooms and lock them. Like we have all the systemic power. And, and, and in many, many places in the world, we can actually strike them, legally mm-hmm. strike them. So we have a lot of systemic power over our kids, power that we didn't choose and we can't refuse. They can't right. go out and get a job. They can't find a place to live. And then we say it's our house. Um, as long as you're in my house, but they have no option to go to another house when they're young, especially. Um, so then they don't even have a house of their own. All of this systemic power we have. Right. And the question is always, how am I choosing to use that power? What is the model I'm setting? Because when they ha- engage with their power, right. what's the message? So for example, if a child wants to do something and I use my power to tell them not to, because I think it's it's important for them not to do it. The message behind it is if you have more power over someone and you think they should be behaving differently than the choices they're making, you can use that power to force them to behave in ways they don't want to do. This is the experiential lesson that they get. And, uh, and so, Oh my gosh, there's so much here. Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's so much here in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm dying. (gasps) I am I'm loving your uh, your responses and your uh, your enthusiasm, Casey. It makes me so happy. Uh, well, uh, I'm in it too. I mean, my I'm you know two teenagers and control is an illusion, right? And you know, bumping up against my own conditioning yeah. and all the things. It's you know, it's active. It's an active experience, and For sure. 
you know, and not telling, you know, not telling them what to do is challenging. For sure. <laughs> Especially For when sure. you feel like, you know, I feel like I see the world as it is. And so mm-hmm. clearly I know a yeah. lot and yeah. I want them to appreciate that, yeah. you know, and everything you're saying spot on. I want them to be the designers of their life and also noticing how it feels when they do that. And it's not the design that I had in mind. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's so much, it's so yeah. big. Yeah. And the thing is, I- I'm not suggesting that you don't do something about it. Sure. I'm not suggesting that if they make a decision that, that, that you don't approve of, that you just ignore it. I, I'm I just don't just don't do something about it that implies coercion and power. Right? Right. But there's right. like a million other ways to address it with collaborative discussions, with sure. modeling, like we said, you know, um, like you said, you talk about being neutral, but the neutral is only in certain circumstances. In a lot of circumstances, we can be completely deeply invested in our emotions and our, our feelings, just sure. not when it's about trying to push it on them. But when I share my stories of my life, my own learning processes, when I'm looking at the, the TV and I'm saying that this show is like this and it makes me so upset, um, or this show was like this and it made me so happy. Look at that commercial. Mm-hmm. Like every race was represented in that commercial. Mm-hmm. We, we should support businesses like that. And when I, I can bring lots of enthusiasm and lots of guiding into the relationship and helping, helping our kids to think about things and to, and to understand their own values. I just don't want it to be coercive. I, you know, right. I, I, like, for example, and, and this, does, I mean, like, it doesn't seem like it's obvious that we're talking about anti-racism here. But for me, right. the way that we engage with power is one of the most critical ways that we can help children become a- anti-racists and social justice activists in general is to have yeah. a power is to have a power lens. Mm. And ice cream is one of the um, the examples I use the most because it's one of the most triggering examples for parents and being somebody who. Ice cream. Okay. Being somebody, being somebody who condones bad behavior, like I said. <laughs> Ice cream for every meal. <laughs> Ice cream for every meal. So, because uh, I t- one of the one of the areas that I uh, teach a lot about is consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a dancer, and so in the dance world, I do a partner dance called Contact Improvisation. And in the dance world, there's lots of consent violations that happen from the micro to the macro. Mm-hmm. And so, I just recently I I uh, co-created. Um, with two dance colleagues of mine, uh, an entire symposium on consent in the dance world. And we had like 100 people there and eight speakers. Right. And it was really powerful. And consent education starts when kids are really young. It's another power over mm-hmm. under power with thing. Mm-hmm. If a child says, I want ice cream and you say no, what's happening is from a power perspective, again, it's the same thing. I'm using my power, my systemic power, my physical power, my access to resources power to deny them their consent to have ice cream in that moment. I'm using my strength because otherwise if they had access to it, they would just have the ice cream, but they have to go through me, the power, the power position, the access to resources and how I engage with that. It teaches them about power. It also teaches them about their bodies. So if they want ice cream and some, some parents will say, well, I give my kid ice cream for breakfast once in a while, which is great. But what if they ask for it three days in a row or five days in a row? And then at one point is there, uh, is their consent and their autonomy and the modeling of the power relationship? At what point does it become not as important as the ice cream? And then parents say, well, you're just going to let your kids eat ice cream all the time. But no, that's, okay. not the point. that's not the point either, right? That's not the point either. The point is that I'm just not using that structure to stop them from eating ice cream. I'm going to- so what use, are you doing? Yeah, tell me what to, are you doing? I, that's, that's what we've been talking about. I know you're getting there. 
Right. Yes. Okay. Well, no, but that's that's what we've been talking about. We're talking about the model. It's trusting in the model guide friend process. It's trusting in the longer term process and not being overly focused on the, the short term, especially when we have been using control and we're trying to release control. What happens is kids necessarily are going to go through a phase of adjustment um, when they're trying, because we, we've always been controlling what they eat. And then suddenly we're teaching them, hey, you know, another way of doing this is that for you to tune into your body and listening to the messages of your body and, and become really and really tune into your body wisdom. And to understand the impact of different foods and mm -hmm. to experiment with the dip impact of different foods and to figure out what makes sense to you. Now, to mm -hmm. me, that's a much deeper, much yes. longer lasting process than don't eat ice cream. As soon as I say don't eat ice cream, ice cream becomes connected to power, not to body wisdom. One of my, one of my sayings, which is a little different from this, but it still connects, is I didn't teach. Uh, the question isn't how do I get my kid to brush their teeth? The question is how do I get my kid to love their teeth? Right. And it's oh, a very different, thank you. It's a very different system. It's a very different mindset. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to stop you there because yeah, sure. I am recognizing that an hour and 15 minutes of you <laughs> is not enough. Um, and I just want to invite, because I think this very last piece is probably really challenging for yeah. people that are listening. I think that yeah. they're probably like, but wait, 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 Casey, don't, I, I don't see this. And I think it's a great example right. of how, we get to be in our own curiosity, like yeah. first noticing where we're feeling challenged, like right. how are you, listeners notice how you're feeling challenged, notice how, you know, you've felt about this conversation. And then mm. if anything has shifted in this ice cream conversation, and I want you to just be curious about that mm. and to be open to the possibility that Vivek has even more to teach us because <laughs> he does, he does. And so I'm going to pivot right now yeah. so that you can share with the audience, how can they find you? Where can they get more of you? What other resources have you created that can you point us to that will help us dig more into this? Cause I think it's a really, it's a really powerful mindset and a really important conversation. Thank you, Casey. I really appreciate yeah. that. So my Facebook page is meaningful ideas. And that's where most of my writing is on. Um, I also have a blog, which is MeaningfulIdeas.com. And that was almost entirely from 2015, because in 2015, I made a commitment to myself to write every day for a year. And I put up a blog, and I never oh. missed a day. And so there's almost 400 Real. articles. Thank you. There's almost felt really good. And, and there's almost 400 articles on that, uh, on that parenting page on my website. And then my YouTube mm -hmm. channel is also Meaningful Ideas. And I have almost 60 videos at this point. Um, and some of them are just two, three, four, five minute videos. And some of them are full hour long, two hour long workshops. I also do a weekly podcast with my colleague, Sujai Johnson, who's the um, founder of Gentle Parents Unite. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you can also join Gentle Parents Unite. And if you type into Google Gentle Parents Unite podcast, we're just at a year of weekly podcasts now. And then we also I also have the Patreon, which is a paid subscription service that I do with Sujai. If you type in Patreon and, and type in Gentle Parents Unite, you can find us. Mm -hmm. And we do such really powerful work in this Patreon space. So part of it is that you're supporting her and I in the work that we do sharing this philosophy. But part of it is we have continuous live events happening every single week. I do, uh, Sujai and I both do a coaching call every week where people can come on and share issues and mm -hmm. uh, we share uh, our responses to them and then give them these kind of tips, impractical tips. 
And then, uh, <laughs> and, then and you can come on every week. And, the, and, and then the community is kind of there sharing their ideas as well. I do a weekly meditation for parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I've designed 15 meditations, which are specifically about working with the mind and working with the emotions so that mm-hmm. we're more aware and more centered in our parenting life. Um, we also do a lot of social justice education. And we also do, and I also go live uh, for an hour or two every Thursday where I just pick a particular topic and I just give a talk on a particular topic. And so there's probably 20, 25 videos of in, just in the Patreon um, awesome. of that as well. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And yeah, I would just love people to follow me and reach out to me if you have questions. I'm going to have all those links to all those places that you just mentioned, Vivek, in the show notes. Super. I want to ask you a question. I just want to ask it anyway, because it's been on my mind. Okay. When I told that story, and, I, and I'll ask the listeners too, who's listening to this. When I told that story of the woman who lost her wig and I went chasing it, did you have a picture of that woman? And what color was her skin? Oh, Vivek. She was a white woman, of course. Mm-hmm. When I think about a granny and you didn't make, and you did not use any language that, well, you didn't use any language, so why would I think she was white? Mm-hmm. And you didn't use any language, which is exactly how I knew she was white. Right. In my own conditioning, right? Right, right. And that's why We're I We're totally keeping this in the yeah. podcast. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and, I, and I would really invite all of your listeners, regardless of whether you're white or uh, you know, black, indigenous, person of color, um, to think about that. What is the image yeah. that came to you of that woman? She was black, by the way. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and when I tell that story, this is the first time I've actually asked that question. So I've told the story a lot. I haven't asked that question before, but I thought because of the focus of this podcast, it was worth yeah. bringing that up. And I think that is, you know, when we say, when, when people want to say that they're not racist, I get it. You're not a racist. But right. when, I, when I use the word racist, again, I'm just talking about subtle things like that, the filters mm-hmm. that we have, the, the yeah. assumptions that we have. And I think it's worth being able to look at ourselves around those kind of things. 100%. Yeah. Thanks. So in the context of all that we've talked about, what does joyful courage mean to you? Thank you. Thank you for asking that. That's a beautiful name. I love it so much. Thank you. Um, You know, activism contains both joy and pain. I've been doing activism for 30 years, like I said. And I think that it's the ability to embrace both of those things that brings our power. A friend of mine recently asked, Vivek, how do I do all this self-examination without being completely exhausted and, mm-hmm. and in pain? And, and I said, you can't really. Um, we have to accept that part of this growth is part of the pain. And then can we find joy in embracing our pain? Can we find joy in embracing the whole of who we are, the pain of who we are, the errors that we have, the mistakes that we make? You know, even you noticing that about uh, the picture you had about the grandma, can you find joy Mm -hmm. in noticing that racist lens? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll say racial lens to soften it a little bit. And so that's what I feel about about joy. I think joy, one of my sayings is, it's about, I use the word happiness, but I think it applies the same. One of my sayings is, happiness is not an emotion, it's a foundation. Mm. It's deeper, it's something deeper than the dualities that we experience, the variety that we experience. It's a connection Mm. with, joy is something that's a connection with my my deep self it's what i call the ocean self you know we're all waves on the ocean and there's a casey wave and a fake wave and um i see all the different waves around mm-hmm. and i think that each of us as waves really are just different forms of the same ocean yeah and uh and so when i'm in touch with my ocean self that's when i that's when i feel the most joy 
and the ocean self can hold my pain and can hold my uh, my you know the transitory type of joy. And then courage. I think courage is an inward journey and an outward journey simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think courage is the inward journey of um, of really knowing myself, of being able to um, face myself, and love myself, and also be very very honest with myself. And the outward journey is the choices I make in the world, what I choose to say, what I choose to think, what I choose to learn, how I choose to treat people, and um, and uh, and what I choose to stand up for, who I choose to protect. Um, I think that it's that com- combining of the inward and the outward journey simultaneously, from with the with the experience of knowing our ocean self and our wave self. Put all of that together, and you have joyful courage. Mm, thank you for that. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, Vivek. And I can't wait to continue conversations with you because we've got lots more to talk about. Wonderful. Thank you, Casey. Thank you so much for listening. It is my great honor to create this show for all of you. Big thanks to my producer, Chris Mann at Podshaper for his work in making the podcast sound oh so good. If you're interested in continuing these powerful conversations that start on the podcast, become a patron by heading to www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. That's www.patreon.com slash joyful courage. For $5 a month, you will have access to a private Facebook group where I do weekly Facebook lives on Mondays and interview recaps on Fridays. Plus, it's a great way to give back to the show that gives you so much. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you are listening to podcasts and simply search for the Joyful Courage podcast and hit that subscribe button. Join our communities on Facebook, the Live and Love with Joyful Courage group and the Joyful Courage of Parents of Teens groups are both safe, supportive communities of like-minded parents walking the path with you. If you're looking for even bigger, deeper support, please consider checking out my coaching offer. www.joyfulcourage.com slash coaching is where to go to book a free explore call with me and we can see if we're a good fit. I'll be back next week. Can't wait. Until then, big love to you. Remember to find your breath, ride it into your body, take the balcony seat and trust that everything is going to be okay. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.